get right back up where we left off. But last week we kind of had an on-ramp of uh, just to, to reacclimate to this, this beautiful, wonderful book. Um, of, we overview the first three chapters. And if you missed that, if you, if you, if you just want a brief summary of, of what we covered or what we're going to continue to cover as we go, if you want just a brief overview of the book of Ephesians, you could say it like this. If you're a Christian, God has made you into a new creature in Christ. And now he wants you to learn to live in a way that's consistent with your new identity. It's really an overview of the book. He's, he's, he's remade you. He's recreated you. He raised you from the dead. He's given you a new identity. And now he wants you to learn to live out that new identity in real time today for his glory um, as we go. So that's it in a, in a nutshell. And we could crystallize it even more in this, in this statement. Essentially, Paul says, become who you are. Become who you are in Christ. And so we saw last week that if we're going to become who we are, we've got to know who we are, right? This new identity. We have to know a little bit about who we are in Christ. So we overviewed that last week. We took multiple sermons last year working through that in the first three chapters of Ephesians. But we did a quick overview of, of just a couple themes that we saw from those first three chapters last week. If you missed it, it's online on our website. I definitely recommend going back and listening to that message so you can, you can be tracked. And so we're now, after that, we're now equipped, at least we've been re- refreshed on who we are in Christ. We're new creatures. And now we need to, to learn to, to live out of this new identity. But this raises another question. And the question is this, what does this growth process actually look like? So we are recreated in Christ, now we're going to live out that identity, what does it look like? How do we become, in real time, these new creatures that we've been created to be? How do we start living like this one new man, or this one new humanity that God has has made us into? Let's take a minute, just think about that. If, somebody, if someone were to ask you that question, what, what would you say? Just reflect on that for a minute. How would you answer that question? What does the growth process look like? How do we change? Let's make it a little more specific. If a friend came to you and confessed that they were in a deep depression, they were constantly acting out sinfully toward other people out of that depression, and they had, they had been this way for months, and now they wanted to change. What would you tell them? How do they do that? How do they change? What path would you point them to for true transformation? Who would be your first person to recommend that they get help from? Well, if you're an LU student, many of you are, you would likely refer them to the student counseling services. That's what they're there for. Now, I didn't know much about the, the student counseling services before today, but I looked them up, kind of read, read the website, uh, got as much information as I could from, from the website, and uh, I just tried to get a feel for how they would actually try to help someone uh, that would come to them. Well, they follow what's called the STEPPED model, which was adopted, or adapted, actually, adopted and adapted, from Calvin College, Calvin University now. And initially, what this would involve is, is you, would, you would reach out for help, and then they would recommend that you take an online mental health screening. And that would help you assess the quality of your mental health. Then, 
if you determined that you wanted to see them after that, like, yeah, I, I, my mental health is bad, I want to I come see you, they'd get you and then they'd triage you to assess your mental health and, and to de- determine the best process for change for you, to de- determine the best approach to help you. Then they would transfer you to another department at LU that would be most appropriate for you. So they listed a couple of these online, LU Shepherd, Student Health Services, Career Center, Residence Life, Community Life, Center for Me, Academic Success Center, and the International Student Center. Those were all they listed. So they would transfer you out to another department. And then they would recommend that you go to an emotional wellness workshop for what they call face-to-face psychoeducation. Then if that doesn't work, or if you need more, it would ratchet up, the intensity would ratchet up, and then they would give you increasing time in a group counseling or group therapy session. And the more serious your condition, the more time you'd get in group therapy. It would kind of ratchet up. Then if that doesn't work, they would give you some individual counseling sessions. That, that you, all these things kind of ratchet up in intensity. They give you some individual counseling sessions with an ongoing symptom measurements tests. Now, I'm not sure what any of this is. I'm just telling you what I read from the website. Then the last case scenario, if you were, if you were in, a, in, a, in a tough spot, they would, they would refer you off campus to, a, I, I'm, I'm assuming, an actual psychologist. So again, I'm, I'm operating off a lot of ignorance here, just what I'm reading off the website. So you guys can correct me here afterwards if there was anything that wasn't, wasn't right about that. So that's kind of an overview of, of how they would how they would handle it, how they would answer, at least in part, some of these questions, at least methodologically, what they would do. Well, regarding your friend and her depression, I also noticed a few things about how they would view that as well. Again, just from the website. They have a depression self-help resource listed on the website. First, they would tell your friend that she has a condition. So, evocative, like a medical condition or, or a sickness. The good news, though, they say, is that it's treatable, their words. So treatable like any other illness. And the treatment would involve medication and or counseling. Medication and or counseling. Now, all this may sound completely normal to you because we've we've kind of grown up in this psychologized culture. And you may think, yeah, that's the best and most responsible way to help my friend. Well, there's a number of things we could say about all this, but, but what was incredible to me were just two observations, okay? Just two that I'm going to make. Number one, this Christian counseling model looks eerily similar to how a secular school would handle something like this. Very similar. Immediately classifying depression as a medical condition and then treatable with medication, they use the, the Princeton acclaimed step model from Calvin College, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the first observation. looks pretty similar, and this is a Christian organization. Then number two, what was also incredible, maybe even more so, was what was conspicuously absent, at least online, from this Christian counseling model is, is anything we're going to see in the passage today before us. There's no mention of the church. There's no mention of renewing the mind. There's no mention of putting off and putting on. There was no mention of sin in what I read. And quite frankly, this is incredible to me. So, with this in mind, I want you to see how Paul answers this question in Ephesians 4. What would Paul say is the solution to a person who is trapped in life-dominating sin? 
what would Paul encourage you as a Christian to do to get help? To experience transformation. Well, Paul essentially gives two very simple and very intertwined answers in Ephesians 4. Here's where we're going. He says first that the church plays the primary role in the growth process for the believer. The church, no other institution, but the church plays a primary role in the growth process of a believer. And second, intertwined, is that we as individuals have important and an incredibly important and proactive role to play additionally in our own growth. So it's not just the church's problem to sanctify us. It's our own thing that we have to take personal responsibility for. Now, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to unpack this. There's a lot more than just those two little things. That's just my way of <laughs> summarizing a lot of data in chapter 4. So it's really important that we cement these truths in our mind because where we're going, where we're going out of this next week is we're going into uh, the end of chapter 4, which is all about like, how, we, how we're to live as Christians. So we've got, to, we've got to submit the growth process. Paul really lays this out for us. And he really just answers this question. How do we change in, in two ways? He says, first, there's a corporate, there's a corporate dimension, or there's a, there's a, the church plays a role in this change process. The church plays a role in this, in this change process. And what's really incredible about this first answer from Paul is... Uh, how so counterintuitive it is to, to so many Christians. You think, it's like, the church? Like, like my church, my church uh, is to play a role in this? Can the church really help a sex addict? Can the church really help someone who's trapped in the, the depths of chronic anxiety? Well, you might be skeptical, but Paul's not. In fact, it's the first place Paul turns. And that's because he knows that God has designed the church to function like an incubator for growth for the Christian. So it might be counterintuitive for you. You might not think the church is the first answer, but it is for Paul. But it might be counterintuitive in another way. You might think, you know, when you think about growth, that you, and you jump to your first, uh, you jump first to your individual responsibilities for growth, right? So it's like, oh, I need to, to you know, read my Bible, my personal Bible reading, my prayer time, etc., and maybe you wouldn't have expected Paul to jump right into your personal, individual responsibilities. Now, he'll get there, for sure. But he wants to make sure that he situates your personal responsibilities in the context of the church. Super important. So, Paul takes the time to develop the role of the church. To develop its leaders and its congregation. To show us how it fits in with our growth. So, first, the first thing Paul does, and again... We cherry-picked last week. We're going to do it again this week. Okay, so we're not going to be able to cover all of chapter 4. But, Paul is going to describe first how the church is set up, and in particular, the role of its leaders in the transformation of the people. Okay? So, well, we could put the role of the leaders. Now, I'm just going to come back and grab as we read. I'm going to, I'm going to start reading in verse 7. Verse 7 of chapter 4, he, Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? 
He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. So don't get lost in all that. Just the, the main point of verse 7 all the way through in verse 10 is that he gave each one of you a gift to be used in the context of the congregation. Okay? And now he, now he pivots and talks about some specific gifts. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. And we'll just stop there. But the, the verses I want you to key in on are, is verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So Paul's explaining the role of the leaders in the congregation. In particular, the role of the leaders as they exercise their ministry and what they're there for. So let's just make a few quick observations about this text, this whole text that we read. Back in verse 7, Paul says you've been gifted. We've all been gifted. This means that every single Christian has been graced by God with a gift, and he intends you to learn to become useful in the body so that you can build up the body, so that you can participate in the growth of the congregation. God intends you to be part of the building of his temple as you grow and you help others grow. We fleshed out, remember that theme from last week, that we're the, that we're the eschatological temple and that we're involved in that building process? So God intends you to use this gifting to help the body grow. But here's the reality for every young and new convert, okay, which is most of you in this room. You're immature. Okay, so just embrace that, you know. You may not be sure how to use your gifts. You may not be sure how to really get involved in the growth of the body. You may be overwhelmed when people have needs and they come to you because you're not really sure how to help them. And more than that, you may know that there are patterns of serious sin in your life that hinders you from being effective in the body and effectively helping other people in the body. Your life's dominated by sin, potentially, and you're the one that actually needs help. So Paul's like, you've been given this gift, but yet we're young and inexperienced, and we, we're, there's a lot we don't know. So what's God's solution to that? Well, he doesn't say psychologists, they weren't around. No, God has made provision for this in the leadership of his church. That's what God did. Paul says that God has given church leadership to equip you guys. Verse 11, he's given these leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So that's a... a an important observation. So who, who are these leaders? Well, Paul's already told us earlier in the letter about um, who these apostles and prophets are. We're not going to get into it super in-depth right now, but the apostles and prophets play a foundational role in the building of the church. That's what Paul said earlier in chapter, back in chapter 3, chapter, end of chapter 2, excuse me. So they're inspired by God to provide a verbal and written revelation to this new covenant community. 
Evangelists, the next on the list here, are like modern-day church planters, kind of how you think about them, people who proclaim the evangel. And they plant churches. They, they proclaim the good news of the gospel. They see that churches are planted. Leaders are established. Philip comes to mind if you're looking for somebody, like a biblical example of this in the New Testament. And next are these long-term leaders, is what I, I would kind of call them, like the long-term people who kind of come in, take over the pastors and the teachers, is how Paul describes them in this context. And these refer to the, the recognized leaders of a church who shepherd, who counsel, who teach, who oversee. And another term, the official, sort of the official term uh, for these people are, are elders. So these are the elders of the church. Um, Maybe more common in your, in your traditions to call them pastors, but whatever it is, it's all referring to the same group of people. So why did God provide these people? And notice, it's God's solution. God provided them. Okay, so we can't improve on this, even though we're not perfect, okay? Um, God himself provides these people. It's God's idea, and he, he provides them, and Paul says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So what is that? What is equipping? Well, it's, it's training, preparing, you can think of that. But, but interestingly, and I think pretty helpfully, this word is used in some context outside the New Testament for setting a bone. Okay? Somebody breaks a bone, you set it. That's this idea of, of equipping. So, and I love that illustration because it's, it has the idea of mending something that's broken. Pastor Shepherd. They set the broken bone so that it can recover, and then your arm can be useful again for, for other purposes. So these leaders mend you for ministry. You can think of it like that. They help you identify your strengths and your giftings. They help you grow so that you can help others grow. They help, you, they help connect you with needs in the body, in, within the congregation, so that you can, you can be a blessing to those folks and participate in the building of the, of the body. And that's the result, really, in the end of verse 12, is the, the body is built up. Look there with me again in verse, at the end of verse 12. So their, their job is to equip the saints, the, in particular for the work of ministry, and that results in, I think that's the way the grammar goes here, that, that results in the building up of the body of Christ. Okay? So what does all this mean for us here at Timberlake? Well, God has given us pastors for our equipping to help us, to help us grow. And our, our current elders or pastors, we have three currently. We're looking to expand that, but we have three formal pastors or elders. That's Pastor Brian, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Larry Brody. And then Rich back here in the back and myself and others are sort of like elders in training. So we're, we're kind of growing up here. We want to help you. Um, and we offer ourselves to you freely. And so I think one, one great application out of this point is, is something similar to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6. He's talking to, to the Corinthians, and he's like, look, we've opened ourselves wide up to you in ministry. And you know us, we've ministered among you, we got, we got no secrets, you know, it's like, here's who we are. So he, I love this phrase, he says, widen your hearts to us also. Um, he lays that to the congregation in, in, um, in Corinth and says, widen your own hearts to us also. Let us in to your weaknesses, to your burdens, what, what you're trying to think through. Come with your problems, big and small, 
your questions, your immaturities. And if we can't help, we'll find somebody who can. We'll, we'll work the angles with you. We, don't, we may not have all the answers, but we, we, we're confident that we know the book that has all the answers. And we're committed by God's grace to leading you back to Christ in his word because we're confident that you're going to find transformation there. But, you know, as we're, as we're fleshing this out, like just from leader to guys, uh, you're not just problems to be solved, okay? That's not how we think of you. Um, not at all. We, again, just I, I use Paul's words here, we, we want not only to share the gospel or to share the truth with you, um, but our own lives also, is what Paul says. If you want to just keep your finger in Ephesians and turn over to 1 Thessalonians 2. I love this passage. One of my favorite passages about, you know, of pastoral ministry. Because um, I, I, I love this. So let's just read it together. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, just so you can... You can hear our hearts for you. And I speak for the men here. I speak for the, the pastors, the elders here. So I want you to hear our hearts. Paul says, For you, are, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, or with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. That's our attitude. By God's grace, toward the congregation, toward you guys. And we want, uh, we want that to come through. And so, obviously, on your part, your role, what God would expect of you, is to commit yourself to us, or to a local church with faithful leadership. And so coming to that church, attending that church, joining that church is key there. And this is the first step to availing yourselves of the shepherding here. And I said this a few weeks ago, but it just bears repeating. It's pastors, elders, who will give an account before God for souls. Not professors, not psychologists at the university, but, but pastors who will give accounts for the souls of the sheep. And that's what drives us. We're not sufficient in ourselves. I mean, it's like a daily, <laughs> that's a daily realization um, in pastoral ministry. But, but we do take our task seriously to, to try to shepherd you guys. So this level of shepherding is already happening. And it has been happening for a while at Timberlake. And as a result, there's a core of believers here who are maturing, who are growing, we're being equipped, and so are we as pastors. Um, we're growing alongside of everybody. And the, the end goal is that the core of Timberlake, the core of this church, the membership, reverberates with ministry to you guys and to other people who are less mature. That's the goal, is that the core reverberates. And that is actually the role 
of the members, okay? the role of the members of the church. So as the leadership is, is spending and being spent for, the, for souls in the church, um, there's going to be a core in the church that respond to that. And they begin to be shepherded and equipped, and they are actually equipped by God's mercy and grace. Like God's the one who's superintending over all this. They're built up, and now they're equipped, or being equipped, to actually help. And there's a second layer to this. So, the role of the members. Let's look in, uh, back, flip back to Ephesians. Look in verse 12. We saw that, we saw that already in verse 12, that this, the pastors are given to equip the saints, and then the saints for the work of ministry. So, the saints would be doing that work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And then drop down to, to verse 15 here, as this process is happening, as maturing is happening, as people are growing up into the image of Christ, he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, so that's, that's the way that you do it, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. It's referring to you. When each part is working properly, again, referring to you, that makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So as, as the saints are equipped, back in verse 12, Paul says this results in the building up of the body. And more and more people in the church become characterized by God's truth, and then they become his agents, agents of the truth. And that's displayed in radical love right here in the middle of the congregation. So that, that means that church people, not just pastors, who know the scriptures and are living out the scriptures are incredibly equipped to help other people change and grow. Okay? The congregation is and ought to be equipped, if the pastors are doing their job, to help other people grow. To help other people utilize their gifting. And this is, this is God's goal. So Paul can say at the end of this paragraph that literally, the, the, the grammar goes like this, the body causes the growth of the body. Like, what? How does that work? The body accomplishes or causes the growth of the body. Verse 16. So this means that, that not only are the pastors available, but so are the other members of this body here at Timberlake. So I'm going to embarrass the leaders here, but if you're a leader and you're here, we have some people that aren't here tonight because of various reasons, but if you are, I want you to raise your hand. Okay. Boom, boom. Raise it high, Tuck. Come on now. Boom. Sound booth. Boom. Okay, so lock in these people because it's people we've identified from the congregation that are growing. Now, we're not perfect. We all would acknowledge that. Okay, we're not always going to have all the answers. But these are people that I would encourage you to go to, to get to know. Meet up with them. Watch how they interact with their families, their spouses. Learn from them. Serve alongside them. They're here to help mend you. They're here to help build you up. They're here to befriend you. They're, they're here to help lead you to Jesus. And realize that this is God's goal for you, too. So if you stick around, God wants you on the mend. Does that make sense? He wants you befriending other people. He wants you being part of the discipleship culture here. He wants you taking responsibility for other people, helping other people to the, to the degree that you can. Now, we're not saying to outpunt your coverage, but to the degree that you can, we want you to help people. And guess what? You're in a body. 
So there's people at various levels of maturity all around you, and you've got lots of help. So a major takeaway at this point is just to see the priority of the church in growth, in your growth process. So if your friend were to ask you the question, your first instinct now, you know, how do we grow? You should say, well, you've got to get involved in the church, right? In a healthy church, that should be your first answer, just like Paul. Paul said it, like we should be involved in the church. There's a corporate element to your growth, according to Scripture. It's not a group therapy session at Liberty. It's the ecclesia. It's God's saints. It's the gathering, of, it's the gathering in the body life of God's people. It's God's appointed leaders who are tasked to equip and mend. And, and so, so that's Paul's first dimension of our, our transformation. The church plays a, a, a primary and vital role. That's not all he says. As important as the church is, we, we have to uh, take individual responsibility for our growth. And that's where he's going to go next. We can't just assume that if we have the right disciples, if we can you know, just meet with one of the pastors every week, or if we're you know, part of just a really healthy church, we're just going to grow by osmosis. Like, it doesn't work that way. We don't just automatically grow. We have to take individual responsibility for our growth, and Paul outlines that in these, these verses that follow. So I'll just call this your individual role or the individual dimension. Okay, your individual role. Drop down to verse 17. Chapter 4, Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That's a pretty crazy phrase because most of these authors were, or most of these recipients were Gentiles. So remember, we're part of the one new humanity now. So you got to leave all that behind. How the the unsaved Gentiles used to live their lives. You got to leave all that behind. No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, catch this, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's the individual dimension. There's your role in this growth process. Paul lays it out super clearly. And you have a new nature now, so you're capable of this through the power of the Spirit. It's not easy, but you are now capable because you're a new creature in Christ. So, there's a lot here in this passage, and we're just going to highlight three of these commands, okay? Number one, you've got to trash the old life. Uh, you just got to throw it away. You have to trash it. And that's in verse 22. Really, It really picks up from where we started in verse 17, where he's saying you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in verse 17, but he it sort of culminates in in verse 22 where he says, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So put it off. Imagery here is not hard to understand. You take off and put on clothes every day. I hope. 
Okay? Um, so in this case, it's the taking off of and trashing of clothes that are soiled by sin beyond saving. Okay? There's no, there's no ability here to, to, to wash them in the, the washing machine with Dawn dish detergent. Mary knows. It's like, stand, I'll see her in here. She's probably out with our kids. Kids eat watermelon, stains their shirts. So sometimes we just got to throw them away. It's brutal. It's uh, Mary's least favorite thing to do is throw away clothes, kids' clothes. All right. But this is the idea. We've got to trash them. There's repent, this is repentance language. So what are we to get rid of here? Well, Paul calls it the old man. Okay, the old man. And that's just, you remember we've talked about this, this man idea previously, the old Adam, the old humanity, the old nature. That's what he's talking about. So it's, it's what we used to be. He says it was the old man according to our former manner of life, I think is how it's translated here in the ESV, uh, which belongs to your former manner of life, is how this ESV puts it. And this is the dead man of chapter 2. So remember that? Back in chapter 2, you're dead in your transgressions and sins. This, that's the cadaver. Um, your dead, your old dead self that's, that's rotting and corroding away. Paul's saying, you've got to get rid of this. This is the, the, the old person that was enslaved to Satan and had no opportunity to break free of that. This is the old person that was held captive by sinful desires. You know, like if, even if Satan and the world were to just go away, you would still stay in the prison of your sin because you want to be there when you're an unbeliever. Like, you have no hope. That's the point of Ephesians 2, is that God rescued you out of all that. So, that's the old man. But, but this sounds incredibly simple, okay? Especially compared to the, sort of the complexities of the change process as we, you know, as we think about that in other psychological models. Like, trash the old life, just like get rid of it? Um, yeah, I mean, at least initially, that's the first thing Paul says. That's how it really works. It's one aspect of the change process. We're going to get into more of it. But, but then, it, then you ask a question, okay? So, all right, I believe the Bible, so that's what Paul says here, but, like, it's hard, like, to get rid of the old life, right? So why is it so hard to get rid of our sinful impulses and actions? Well, Paul's going to give us some insight tucked in this command. This old man, or our old nature, is presently corrupted, verse 22, through deceitful desires. And that's how the ESV puts it, through deceitful desires. Now, let's just take a minute and and unpack this phrase, because it's incredibly important. It gives us insight on why it's so hard to just trash our sinful behavior. This phrase should be translated like this. Our old man is being corrupted because of the desires that spring from deceit. Okay, I'll repeat that. Our old man, our old nature, is being corrupted because of the desires that spring from deceit, that come from deception. So, let me say it backwards, okay? Because I know this, you guys are like taking it in. I've been thinking about this all week. Okay? It's got to be slow as we disseminate this information. We are deceived... In our old Adam, the old man, we're deceived, and that produces evil desires, which in turn corrupt our behavior. Okay? So we're deceived, which produce 
evil desires which corrupt our behavior. This means that our old nature in Adam is a deceived nature. Super important. It's a nature that cannot be trusted about what's real or not. It can't be trusted about what's good or not. It can't be trusted about what's true or not. All our desires that spring up out of this deception also can't be trusted. (laughs) And most certainly should not be acted upon. Right? And Paul wants us to see this. Because he knows that if we see it, if we see this as he's laying it out here, if we realize this, we're going to be motivated to trash the old nature wholesale. We will be incredibly skeptical of ourselves. We're going to be desperate then to find the truth, to look to God, to listen to Him and not ourselves. This is a theme through the whole Bible. You think about... uh, Proverbs 3, the passage you probably all memorized at one point. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Right? That's the idea. <laughs> Don't lean on your own understanding because your, your fallen, your old nature in Adam is deceitful. Look to God. Listen to Him. So, Paul's saying that who we were before Christ has to go. It can't be rehabilitated because it's dead and it's rotting. So, you have to be a new creature. It's deceived, and the desires that we have springing up out of, our, out of our old nature are also dangerous. So, but it's important here to underscore this point. Like, we don't confuse your identities at this point. Okay, it's not like we're we're two different people on the inside. We are a new creature in Christ by God's mercy. Like, your identity is new. You're new. I'm not fundamentally the old clay that I was pre-Christ. But this verse implies that I will constantly have the old humanity vying for my thinking and tempting me toward corruption. It's always going to be there. But I'm not fundamentally the old humanity, although I am still susceptible to its lies and to the lifestyle that flows out of that. So one more just observation before we leave this point and, and go, we've got two more out of this one, but what, what Paul says here, it means that, that sin in your life is linked to some form of deception ultimately. Just drawing that out. Sin in your life is linked to some form of deception according to this verse. You have deception that's producing desires and then yields to sin. So let's take, just for example, the guy who's enslaved to pornography. I know right off the bat that he's deceived. This verse tells me he's deceived. If he's a believer, he's yielding to his deceived former nature, and as a result, he perceives that pornography is somehow good for him. So he's overcome and he indulges it. It's not a disorder, it's deception. Our sin is like the the check engine light in a car. When it comes on and we see it, it's like you don't bust out the light to fix the car. You check the engine, just like the light's supposed to tell you to do. So our sin, it's evil in and of itself, but it's an indicator. It's like the light that tells us that something's wrong in the engine. It alerts us to the presence of deception in our lives. That's one way we could put that, according to this verse. It alerts us to the influence 
of the old corrupt nature. So do you see how important this is? Like, how, like that's a huge observation here in this, in this text, and it's tucked away right here by the Apostle Paul. So just a practical tip here, you know, if you're battling sin in your own life. One thing that I do that I, I walk with Mary through these things, I walk with you guys as you come to me through these things, I, I write out what I'm thinking in moments of temptation and sin. And I have other people do that too. And why would I do that? Well, it's sometimes we think when we're in sin that we're just like completely overcome and we're, we're, at the, we're at the mercy of our own desires and we can't control it. And nothing else is happening. And we just give in and we have, no, we have no power. Well, it's not true of you if you're a believer. You have the Spirit, and the Spirit's way more powerful than you are, and He can help you change. But in that moment, there's a real going through your head about what you think, what you believe, and it's your thinking that's operating there. You're making assessments about what's good and what's not, what's true and what's false, and all that's happening in your head, whether you realize it or not. And that's producing these desires, and there's a deception involved there. So I, I like to get people writing that out so they begin to see, wow, there's something going on in my head. Like, there's thoughts that are operating here at the, you know, at the, at the intellect level, and they're either true or they're not. And they're not, if you're sinning. So we've got to begin to work through that and, and look, at what that, look at what those lies are, begin to discern that. And that's all part of trashing the old life because you've got this old humanity that's hanging on there and is not easily letting go, and is, you're continually um, susceptible to its lies. So to put it off, we've got to discern those things. And we've got to trash the old humanity. We've got to repent of it, turn from it, not entertain it or flirt with it. Our former selves can't be trusted. And instead, Paul goes on to tell us that we then have to renew our minds. So we knew this was coming. Renew your minds. That's our only option. And it's our only option as people of the truth. People that have been brought to life. Um, we're people of the truth. We're, we, we walk in the light. We're people of light. Like all those images are images of pe- being people of Christ, of the truth. It's who we are. So if, if we can't trust ourselves, we must learn the truth in order to live by it. In order to live in the light. In order to experience true and everlasting life. We have to. A renewed mind is a mind that is fundamentally shaped by truth and nothing else. A renewed mind is a mind that's fundamentally shaped by the truth and nothing else. Not my own wisdom. Not what seems right to me. Definitely not what the world tells me. Everything, and I mean everything, has to be evaluated through the lens of Scripture. Through Christ. Through His Word. So that means that Christ interprets everything for me. He tells me what everything means. His Word gives me the the glasses by which I see everything else. And when we, when we talk about the, the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture, that, that's what we mean. It's our lens. And it, it evaluates everything in life. And this means that, that our fight against sin is fundamentally, at its root, a fight to believe God. You see that? It's a fight to take His Word as true instead of what we feel or what we think or what we want. Our primary task 
is to know Christ and His Word and to yield ourselves to it as truth. Whether or not, listen to this, whether or not our feelings or our experiences align with what we see in Scripture. That doesn't matter. (laughs) Because why? Because they're deceived, right? This is the essence of saving faith, guys. You know what faith is? Faith trusts the Word of God. This is what it actually means to trust God. And this, according to Ephesians 2, is a gift. God gave it to you at your conversion. So you have the capacity to do this now. If there's any kind of like, yes, breath of like, that's true, I want to I rest in that. I want to I avail myself of, of the scriptures. That's God's grace to you. Like you didn't just wake up and decide that one day. Maybe you, it felt like that, but it's because God acted on your behalf through the gospel. We looked at that last week. But that's the essence of faith. That's what it means to trust God. And that, re- that sort of shapes our battle. And he often tests us here. Okay? He often tests us to, to strengthen our faith. And so often we will have nothing else to, to, to hope on or bank on other than the naked words of God. Your emotions won't line up. Your desires won't line up. It's just the word. Like, am I going to believe this or not? And am I going to live in light of this or not? And that is faith. So will you, like Abraham, who Romans says he hoped against hope, Will you believe God's naked word against all hope when everything seems to go in the face of it? And this, this renewal of our minds or how we think, it, it shapes everything else. So once, once Christ is reigning in our hearts through faith, He begins to reshape those desires. We begin to delight in what He delights in. He also begins to renovate our living, how we live our lives, what we, what we value, what we think is important. That was the essence of Paul's prayer back in chapter 3, side note, when he was praying that we would have the strength for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. That's what he's praying for. That Christ would take up the throne in your heart. Not to save you, he's already saved you, but would reign in your life. Would would progressively knock out the idols. Would establish his truth in this innermost being in your heart. Like this is the place that governs everything else. So that's the idea, this, this inner renewal, this renewal by, in the spirit of your minds is, is what Paul's getting at here. But how does this renewal happen? Okay? So we know it's by the truth. So we could just say it like this. It's any time that we hear the truth and we believe it by faith. That's when renewal happens. It's any time you hear the truth from the Word of God and you believe it by faith. So, I mean, that, that opens us up to a lot of renewal options, right? So there's obviously the God has ordained public preaching in the, in the local church. That's the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. But God's ordained that as like a truth point. This is like preventative renewal. Okay, So you're like coming every week, getting deposits of truth. Your mind's being shaped Sunday after Sunday, being filled with, the, with, with reality for the Spirit to draw on then in times of temptation. That's why God's ordained the, the, the gathering and preaching of His Word. And then you've got other people who, who speak encouragingly and truthfully to you. Uh, they're, the, they're the ones in like chapter 4, verse 15, who are speaking the truth in love. This can be a friend, a discipler, a pastor, who brings you counsel from God's Word. And th- this is like strategic renewal. Okay? So if you've got the, the preaching event as like the high-altitude preventative, you've got strategic here. So 
Your life might be burning down in an area, and you need some renewal fast. Okay, that's what this is. This this kind of counseling process is is strategic. It's tailored to you and your specific needs. And we need both. Or a small group discussion where truth reverberated and applied, or you're you're at a lunch table and you're discussing the sermon. Anytime truth's happening, a song that we sing that reinforces biblical truth in your heart and mind. And obviously, personal Bible reading and meditation. I mean, we are the most privileged Christians on the planet to have a copy of God's Word at our fingertips in print and on all of our digital devices. That's crazy. So, we have got access to the truth. But the bottom line is this. Any time that the truth of God's Word comes to you and you hear it with faith, that's the key. You hear it with faith. The Holy Spirit is working inner renewal in you. But beware, because you come in and you're not hearing with faith, the word is not inactive. It is hardening you. So, be warned. Hear with faith. Hear with faith. Be pliable to God's word. Truth is is being laid as the foundation of your life, and you're depending on it more and more. The Word of God begins to govern your thinking instead of how you feel or what you experience or what you think. And that is stabilizing. So once you've identified lies that you're tempted to believe, you you need this renewal by the truth to supplant those lies. Then, it it takes a further step, okay? Last one. Then Paul gives us this, this last piece of our personal responsibility here, which I'm just calling cultivate new life. Cultivate new life. And that's this idea in, chapter, in verse 24. To put on the new self, put on the new man, the new humanity, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Cultivate new life. Paul says our final responsibility is to actively cultivate new patterns of obedience. But I love the way he frames it up. In this passage, I love how he describes it here. He calls our obedience the new self or the new man. This is another way of referring to that new or renewed humanity that God's been after since Genesis 3. It's the new creation that's brought about by the Lord Jesus. This is the character of the renewed image bearer perfectly exemplified in Christ. If we say it differently, this this new man resembles the moral character of God himself. And in fact, Paul says this newly minted individual is characterized by righteousness and holiness that springs from, you guessed it, truth. Okay? It's the very opposite of what we're to put off. So righteousness and holiness that springs from the truth. That's, that's the idea of this last phrase here in verse 24. That we're created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. But the way the ESV translates it, it, it puts the true as a modifier of righteousness, but it's, it's literally in righteousness and holiness of truth. So like springing out of, out of the truth. And I, I love this description because truth from the renewed mind yields transformed behavior. It yields transformed living. And this means that I can obey no matter how I feel. I can obey because 
because I'm obeying by faith, and that springs up from my conviction in the truth. Okay? I can just sort of like bypass my, <laughs> my monkey-like affections and feelings. I just get out everywhere. You know, it's like they're hard to control. So just like bypass that and just obey, like know the truth, and then obey by faith and trust God to work the desires in you in the right way. And you will. And th- there's real power for transformation here. And another thing I love about this, it's the last thing I'll say on this point, is just this newness, this new man, new person, the qualities that you're going to be cultivating are not passing away. They are eternal. And and this means that we now have the privilege to cultivate things, to pursue things that actually have lasting and eternal value. Like, they're going to last. Like, you're going to be raised and you're going to, this, this part's going to come with you. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some examples that Paul tells us to cultivate. Things like a hard work ethic, generosity with our resources, edifying speech that gives grace, kindness, tenderheartedness, graciousness when we're wronged, Christ-like love, sexual purity, wisdom. These kinds of things make up, according to this verse, these kinds of things make up the new creation. And we get the chance to begin cultivating them now in anticipation of that. So... We're going to work this, if, if any of this is unclear or if it's new to you, we're going to work this model out, Paul's model, God's model of change, in the next few weeks as we go through the rest of these, these verses in this passage. So um, if you want some illustrations of this, feel free to come up to me afterwards because this is like what I do every day. So I give you lots of illustrations from my own life, like how this process works, um, my failures in it, things I'm striving in right now. So... If it's unclear to you, if anything's unclear, you want further, if you push back, maybe you, you disagree with things I said in the introduction, please come talk to me. Um, would, love to, would love to interact with you around those things. So you, you might be thinking kind of as we, as we land the plane, okay? You might be thinking, whoa, it sounds like a lot. You know, it sounds like a lot to, to do. I'm not even sure I know where to start. Well, well the beauty here is that, that both of these, these answers dovetail together. God's designed both of these dimensions, the church and the individual, to work together beautifully. The church dovetails with these commands to help us here. So the best thing I would say is is find someone to help you perform your individual role, to renew your mind, to put off and put on. That's why we're here. But these are just your responsibilities. I can't obey for you. I I can't renew your mind for you. Like You have to do that work. That's why I'm framing it as an individual role. But we can help you do that. And love to do that. So, um, just remember that all of this is in the context, remember, of that, that eschatological temple. Like, we're building the temple as we do this. As we grow into the image of Christ here at Timberlake, right here in Boundless, like little old Boundless, like we, as we grow together, as we, as we do this, like we're part of God's end-time temple that's bearing his glory to the world. And we can trust God. He's going he's gonna to draw more people. He's going to save more people. Um, it will probably evoke a lot more hatred and animosity and anger from people that that's not happening with, but that's okay because we're following God's, God's model. But this is, this is glorious stuff that we're about here. This is not just trying to like, be better people, even though it is that. It's much more than that. It's part of God's redemptive purpose for all of humanity. So it's a lot, um, I know, but uh, if you have questions, again, we're going to be here afterwards. We'd love to, love to chat. Father, thank you 
for your word. Thank you that you are so clear. Thank you for your spirit, Lord. We looked at that last week and just how um, you've given us yourself. You've given us new life. You've raised us from the dead. You've given us the capacity to do these things. Without you, we would have no hope. And if there's anybody in here who is discouraged by persistent sin, um, doubting whether or not they're a believer, uh, people who may know they're unbelievers, I pray that, that uh, you would just give us time to interact and that your spirit would be delighted to, um, to confirm the truth and, and to help us walk in it um, tonight. Thank you for these folks. I pray that you bless them and bless our fellowship. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.